It's your American patriot, DJ Drew Shelton. With insight and analysis of today's rapidly shifting world, we welcome you to the Jewess Patriot Show. Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Remember, you don't have to be Jewish to be with Cindy. And now, coming from our WGBB studios in the tri-state area, your Jewish patriot, Cindy Gross. Hello and welcome to the Jewess Patriot. I am your host, Cindy Gross, today's premier Jewish women activist, you don't have to be Jewish with Cindy or participate in the show. I want to thank you for tuning in because we have a huge show tonight. We have two congressmen, a Republican and a Democrat. Both claim to be pro-Israel. Both claim to be uh, supporters of Judeo-Christian values. And both feel that their party is the right party for leadership today and tomorrow in America. And we're going to hear from both sides. And I'm super excited about this. As you know, I open each show with my pearls of wisdom. It's going to be brief because I have a huge discussion in between the interviews. But my pearls of wisdom this week is simple. It's it all or nothing. This is a uh, sound advice discussion in a few minutes for my patriot friends, especially in my party, the Republican Party. When I say all or nothing, I really mean it. I want you to listen to every candidate, learn about every candidate, learn everybody on a local, state, and national level, learn your county leaderships, your county legislators, your county executives, and your committee people, because the local elections of 2023 and the national elections of 2024 can change the superpower status within the world within a couple of years. And America will not be number one anymore. My advice to Republicans, work the 50 states. Work every urban area that is super blue now. And work on your own party. You don't have to keep defending Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Let his party do that. If they want a sense of them, they're just showing their true colors. We're going to start with Anthony D'Esposito. And we're going to end with Adam Smith, one congressman who's been there a long time, one who just started, and both feel that they are the voice of the future. So sit back and stay tuned. Welcome back. I am very excited about our next guest because he is my congressman, and I couldn't be any prouder of calling him my congressman because since he got there, he has been at the forefront of so many issues. 
Just this past month alone, he has co-sponsored a bill about congestion, proving that if you have a governor and mayors around that are of the opposite party, there are ways to be creative to listen to your constituents and work to find uh, a balance and oversight. Also, he's been at the forefront on law enforcement and safety, which is not only local issues, but uh, national issues. And he's been at the forefront of the war on drugs. Congressman Anthony D'Esposito, thank you so much for joining the Jewess Patriot. And thank you for being my congressman. Oh, thanks. And thanks for having me. Well, there's just so much to discuss. Uh, like I said, I hear from so many of my listeners uh, across the country that they know you because since the day you got there, you have been standing front and center uh, on issues that concern common sense voters. And our district is a common sense voter district. Uh, tell us what you think is the most important accomplishment that you have had since becoming a congressman. So I, I think that uh, what's most important is that we are we're working hard and that uh, and, and being visible in the district, which is uh, something that I, I think um, people are happy to see. Um, during my tenure as a member of the Hempstead Town Board, I always made myself accessible. I always had my boots on the ground. Uh, I always made sure that the communities that I represented uh, knew that I heard their voice and acted appropriately Um you know, w- with the, the things that they needed and what mattered to them. And and I try to bring and do bring that same mentality to Congress. And and although, uh, you know, some days a week I'm, I'm down here in Washington on, on Capitol Hill, um, I make sure that the moment I can get back to the district and get my my, my feet back on the ground there, uh, I do that. Um, and it's about, like you said, it's a common sense district. And uh, we have common sense voters who elected a common sense congressman. And uh, that's what's important. This district, Democrats outnumber Republicans by almost uh, 80,000. Um, it's a seat that Democrats held for over 25 years. And we were able to flip it and not just flip it and win by a couple hundred points, but, but win by four points uh, and over 10,000 votes. Uh, and I believe that the, the work that we're doing and, and the um, the bipartisan work that we're doing across the aisle that uh, on issues that affect people across Long Island and New York, uh, that's the message that's going to resonate. They they realize that they sent someone uh, to Washington, D.C., who has uh, real life experience, who was a New York City detective, who uh, worked in local government, um, who understands that uh, every issue uh, that uh, is brought to our attention is an important issue. I always said whether someone calls your office about a pothole or a stop sign at that point, it's the most important issue to them. We need to take care of it or whether it's about national issues and how we're spending our money and how we're funding our military or how we're uh, increasing our uh, or improving our relationship with, with Israel. Um, all of that is important. And uh, our team and, and my team, our focus is to make sure that we hear all those voices, whether they, uh, are from our same party or not. Uh, we're here to represent Long Island. We're here to represent the 4th Congressional District, and that's what we're going to do. I can vouch how busy you are, and anybody who follows your social media, because you are out there meeting, like you said, 
everybody in the district. In fact, it's really hard for me because I know you so well and I could just, you know, reach out to you. I see how you're reaching out to people who never thought about talking to a Republican before because they are very concerned about the safety in our streets, the drugs. I mean, just alone, how, like you said, bipartisan, how many, uh, bipartisan, uh, legislative, uh, pieces of, um, Law you have co-sponsored or introduced is just amazing, especially, especially for freshmen. And I, you are, I don't know where you get the energy from because it's first thing in the morning. It's late at night. I congratulate you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. You brought up Israel and you are in a district that has a huge Jewish population. A huge Jewish population that even the Republicans in the past voted for the Democrats, supported them financially, uh, held in their homes fundraisers and meet and greets. And yet I see a very big shift of Democrats who are Jewish and who are not Jewish, but are Zionists who support the state of Israel coming out in force supporting you. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, you know, obviously during my, my tenure as a councilman in the town of Hempstead, I, I had the opportunity to represent the five towns uh, and establish relationships with local leaders, whether it was rabbis or deans of yeshivas or, um, you know, community leaders and, and really get an understanding of of the Jewish community and, and really welcomed with open arms, honored by some of the synagogues, most recently named the man of the year by Yeshiva South Shore and, and Rabbi uh Mordechai Kamenetsky, um, and that the the knowledge and understanding of 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 the the Jewish community and the things that mattered, we put to work in the town of Hempstead. When I was as as a councilman, we were one of the first towns in the in the country to uh, pass anti BDS legislation. Um, and not only did we put the legislation on the books, uh, being proactive and being leaders, um, but we were able to actually implemented it it wasn't just something done for a press release and a press conference um you know when there was the issues with ben and jerry's and unilever uh we ordered all our commissioners and our directors to to remove unilever products and and stop purchasing unilever products so it's it, it was actually a law that we we put into place and then we were able to utilize and then when i came here to uh to congress um you know one of the first things i did within the first couple months was uh, head to Israel on a bipartisan codel uh, with Speaker McCarthy to celebrate the 75th anniversary of of Israel's independence. Uh, and Speaker McCarthy was only the second uh, Speaker of the House since Newt Gingrich to uh, speak at the Knesset. Um, and while we were there, uh, Speaker McCarthy announced that he was going to be establishing a parliamentary work group between the Knesset and the United States House of Representatives in order to share information, in order to visit one another multiple times a year, in order to further uh, strengthen the the relationship between our two bodies of government. Um, and I'm happy to say that just last week, Speaker McCarthy appointed me to that, uh, that, that group. So I look forward to traveling back to Israel uh, many more times and, and working with the Knesset and my colleagues here in Washington uh, to strengthen the bond between the United States and uh, and Israel. Um, leadership here in Washington has a very firm understanding of of our district, and uh, I think that's clear. In that, you know, we've had two visits already 
uh, during my first 200 days in office by the Speaker of the House to our district. Uh, the majority leader, Steve Scalise, has visited our district twice. Um, our conference chair uh, has been in the district and will be in the district during the recess. Uh, so not only do they understand how important my seat is to maintaining the majority, but it's not just about fundraising. It's about really getting to learn uh, every square inch of, of this district. And they've made it a priority uh, when they could be traveling throughout the country and throughout the world. Uh, they come to the 4th Congressional District because they want to understand uh, what makes it tick. And that's important. And, uh, you know, the speaker was also given a, a very few uh, appointments to the National Holocaust Museum Board. Um, and I'm happy to say that one of those was was given to me. So I'm now I now serve on the Holocaust Museum Board. Um, we have been working uh, with uh, I was a co-sponsor of Mike Lawler's uh, bill to establish um, a special envoy to the Abraham Accords. Uh, so that is something that uh, I am confident is going to pass through the Senate and will be signed into law. Um, so there's a lot of great work being done. We just had a visit from President Herzog uh, last week, and uh, I, I got to chat with him a few a few minutes and, and reminisce about uh, our visit to Israel just a couple of short months ago. Uh, so we are making it very clear in the face of of hatred throughout this country and a lot of hate right here in Washington. Uh, we are making it clear that not just Republicans, but there's a bipartisan effort to strengthen and grow uh, the relationship with our greatest ally. So you brought up a couple of things I really want to follow up on. You brought up the Herzog visit. And of course, members of the squad took the opportunity to bash Israel and through their words, promote anti-Semitism. And you are, uh, having a very strong uh reelection uh discussion as far, uh, you are targeted by the democrats and what do the democrats do one of the people in their primary is somebody who would be probably a uh, part of the squad if he's considered as their uh candidate what do you have to say to the constituents in your district about the possibility of having a squad member represent us I, I think that uh, the message is clear uh, that I have, uh, you know, sometimes I think that that Democrat Democrats get a dollar every time they say MAGA extremist. Um, I think it's clear from my voting record. It's clear from uh, my tenure in government. And it's clear from where I came from. You know, I sat in a in an unmarked police car in Brownsville, Brooklyn, with uh with people on my team, different color skin, different religions, different economic backgrounds, certainly different political ideologies. My life depended on them. Their life depended on me. But every day we got out of those cars uh, to take illegal guns off the street, to affect change, to dismantle gangs. And I, I worked and was able to work uh, with anyone. And I continued that when I was in the town of Hempstead, working in a bipartisan fashion each and every year. Uh, the last four years I was there, uh, bipartisan budgets, uh, either lowering taxes or holding the line on taxes. And now in Congress, uh, you know, you could see by my voting record, by the legislation that I sponsor and co-sponsor, uh, the work that I do is a bipartisan, is bipartisan. I mean, just yesterday I, I, I put forth legislation, um, you know, combating the uh, congestion pricing plan that that uh, our state legislature is putting into effect. It was done by, in a bipartisan fashion with with Democrats from New Jersey, um, and, and that's the work that our uh, neighbors want to see. They want to see someone roll up their sleeves, 
head down here to D.C. and and do the work of the people. Uh, they don't want to hear uh, partisan bickering. And listen, does it happen sometimes? Absolutely. Uh, we, we fundamentally agree on a lot, um, but there are things that we could work on that we can deliver tangible results to our district. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, I've always said I'll work with anyone and anyone uh, in order, as long as it means uh, positive results for Nassau County and Long Island. And that's what I'm going to keep doing. I mean, the fact is, is that the Democrat Party here in New York, uh, they are uh, they are in a war amongst each other. And that war is to see who could be more far to the left, who could be more progressive. Um, and uh, whether it's Laura Gillen, who who accepted money from these individuals who implemented legislation that has uh, completely destroyed our city, uh, or whether it's Kevin Thomas and the others who have, uh, I mean, Kevin Thomas supported cashless bail. He supported congestion pricing. Uh, he is as uh, progressive as they come. And, and like that's who said, I was referring to. If yeah. I, I don't think he's going to you know, be elected, but the thought that this is happening in our district is quite scary. It is. But you know what? We're, we're very confident. Our fundraising uh, is, is going great. Uh, like you said, people um, back in the district are, are, are seeing that they have someone who is working hard um, for everyone, not just the, the people with it, with an R or a C uh, after their name. So um, voters are smart. We are confident. We won by four points in 2022. Um, 2024 is going to be a presidential election, but we are confident that uh, not only will we win again, but we're going to grow our, our, our margin even more. Well, you brought up a couple of points about working uh, with the New York Democratic uh, group. It's no secret that uh, Hakeem Jeffries wants to become Speaker of the House, and he's doing everything he can. And he's getting a lot of support from Gregory Meeks, who's really your next district over, your neighbor. How is your relationship with them? And uh, what do you see happening? Because those are probably the two strongest that are going to be working against you. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's the the leader of the Democratic Party. I think he sees that, uh, you know, leadership of the Democrats in New York State is uh, is in a tough spot. Um, They haven't been very successful uh, with elections over the last three years. Uh, But what they don't understand is that I come from Nassau County and and our chairman, uh, Chairman Cairo, is, I would argue, one of the best in the business. Um, He is well respected. Uh, He has and, and we have. Uh, an army that that uh, will be out there every weekend. And um, I remember when I was running in 2022 and the NRCC would check in every week and ask about um, they would check in with Chairman Cairo and I and ask about how many doors uh, we were able to hit that weekend. And, you know, I think the first weekend we said uh, we had 58,000 doors. And then the weekend after it was 61,000 doors. And they eventually didn't believe us and sent people to, to Nassau County to see us in action. Um, and to this day, when we go to conference meetings, leadership talks about uh, the the mechanics that we have in Nassau County. So, um, listen, uh, the, Hakeem Jeffries and, and Gregory Meeks can be out there raising money. Um, there's a, a lot of seats that are going to be up for grabs in New York. Obviously, they want to win them. Uh, now we're you know we're we're dealing with uh, uh, redistricting again because you know they they know that. Uh, the majority ran through New York and they, they, they know that they can't win fair and square. So now they're going to try to uh, redistrict us. But uh, we're confident. And like I said, uh, what we have here in Nassau County and in Suffolk County, for that matter, and on Long Island 
uh, the mechanics are like nowhere else. It's uh, some of the strongest Republican uh, machines in the country. And uh, those machines are going to be working hard. And I'm confident, um, you know, up against the, the, the minority leader, up against others, uh, we will still be successful. We've seen it in local elections, whether it was our county executive, our district attorney, uh, when we took back the town of Hempstead from from Laura Gillen. Uh, we we have the right candidates, we have the right issues, and thankfully we have the right supporters who who are out there each and every day in the trenches working hard uh, to make sure that we're victorious. So I'm going to say a couple things. First of all, about Chairman Cairo, if the five boroughs had one-tenth of the leadership, and I know all of them, uh, they don't, they talk the talk, they don't walk the walk. Chairman Cairo takes it seriously. He takes his team seriously. And that is why he was recently promoted to a statewide position by Chairman Cox. So everybody knows there's a lot of jealousies, but he does the work. So you're totally right. You prove yourself, you get the results. Those other county leaders better wake up and see what's going on because they're not relating at all to their constituents and that is one big difference between Nassau and the rest of the state and a lot of the big issues in a lot of the uh blue states. The other thing I want to talk about with you, and I say this over and over and over again, and you keep bringing up the two words I talk about, local elections. People think that 2023 isn't important because it's not a congressional race, it's not a presidential race, and they don't understand that this is even more important because so many of your constituents know you because you were out there for years meeting and greeting and going to everything locally, every library event, every school event, every church event. You walked in all the parades, you shook their hands, and they related to you regardless of whether or not they were a Democrat or Republican. I can't emphasize enough to people to make sure they're registered, get out in the primaries, and get out and vote in November for the local candidates. Tell everybody from your own experience what how important that is oh it's listen it's critically important that serving you know locally for the six and a half years that i did um local elections are are really uh important they are what affect your everyday life what affect your your roads the infrastructure what affects your parks and uh picking up your your garbage um and thankfully you know in my district we have some some great uh leadership that's on the ballot this year you know in the town of hempstead um, I work each and every day with with our supervisor, Don Clavin, who's doing a great job. Um, we were able to craft budgets together, uh, implement um, some some real great improvements across our parks. Um, you know, we are now uh, one of the, the we actually have the highest bond rating uh, that you can have as a municipal government because of the, the work that that we did together. Um, he's running. You have our great town clerk, Kate Murray, our receiver of taxes, Janine Driscoll, in, in my district and uh, is it will be succeeding or has succeeded me, but up for her first election is Laura Ryder. She's a, a former uh, village trustee from, from the village of Limbrook, and, and she is working as hard as she can to uh, get to know the neighbors, get to know the district. And I, I'm thankful to be able to, to speak with her a couple of times a day and and talk about the district and and what makes it tick. We have uh, Chris Carini and uh, Tommy Muscarella. It, it just it's it's a great team, and you have our and Missy Miller. Leadership. Yeah, and I was just going to say, um, you know, Missy Miller left the the state assembly uh, to join us uh, on the town board, um, and she's just uh, such a a, a strong uh, candidate. She works hard, and she's got a heart of gold. 
Um, and yes, she you does. Know, they're, they're also, you know, getting to know new districts. Uh, both Missy and, and Laura are, are, are their districts have changed a little bit. So they're getting to know their districts, but it's just a great team. And then, you know, on the county level, we have our county legislature, which uh, we have some great candidates in, in districts that, uh, you know, are some open seats because of also some redistricting. But, you know, down in my neck of the woods, uh, I'm I'm very happy to, uh, you know, I've been a, a, a very good friend of Denise Ford for many years. She's worked hard. Um, and they're all great. They're all yeah. great. I can't be we, any more proud to say I I live in a county where everybody's so approachable. I'll tell you a funny story. My mother said to me, you know, Anthony doesn't come around much since he's a congressman. We used to see him all the time. So I said, don't worry, Ma, he'll get there. You're going to be around during the vacation, uh, the recess, actually, not a vacation, because it's never a vacation being a congressman. But um, you're going to be around the entire district. And uh, we look forward. We would love to have you live in studio while you're in in, uh, in the district. Meet everybody from both parties. We would love to host you live. And uh, before we go, what would you like to uh, tell everybody? Because every everybody's just so frustrated and angry these days. I mean, yeah, tell us about the Hunter Biden situation. What's going to happen? That's something I'm asked about every day, multiple times. Well, we'll see. Listen, as, as someone who has spent his entire adult life in law enforcement, uh, conducted thousands of investigations. For me, uh, this is about uh, taking a methodical approach, looking at the facts. Um, and when I do have those facts in front of me and, and the committees of jurisdiction uh, report back to all the members, you know, we'll see what happens from there. And, uh, again, you have just been rocking it. And I, I can't tell you how many people tell me, Oh, Anthony's your congressman. I said, yep. He said, wow, he came there serious and working from the minute he walked in the door. And I can't be more proud of to say you are my congressman. And we look forward to having you many years in Congress representing us, not only working for our district, but what you talk about, what you legislate on, what you introduce, represents every common sense legal American in the country. Where can our uh, listeners and audience follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and obviously for any of our, uh, any issues that they need governmentally, uh, you can, uh, find my website. Uh, we're happy to help with, with anything, any issues, whether it's local or federal. Well, we're so happy to have you. We hope to have you back soon because you are our congressman. This studio is in your district. I represent, uh, a different part of the district and we are just so happy that you joined the Jewess Patriot. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Cindy. Be well and have a good Shabbos. Thanks. Let RFK speak. Let any anti-Semitism be exposed. By Cindy Gross. Let Robert F. Kennedy, public figures and candidates speak and get caught on tape. Let us find out who they really are by hearing them op-ed. Cindy Gross is the Jewish patriot, radio's premier Jewish activist syndicated through Conservative Television of America, Real Talk Radio and the Black and White Network.
She is the chair of Jewish Vote GOP and was a Jewish advisor for many 2022 candidates. Her lawsuit against the NYCDOE exposes scandals and corruption within public schools. Reach her at jewishvotecounts at gmail.com. I watched and rewatched those clips of the hearings of the censorship of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Unfortunately, too many of you won't. It's a shame, because you were watching democracy fall faster than the rush at kosher pizza stores after a fast day. Let Robert F. Kennedy speak and get caught on tape. Let us find out what he really is by hearing him how many times since he announced his candidacy did he have to walk back comments made that offended Jews? Last May, he defended proud Israel and Jew hater Roger Waters as a global hero, and then had to explain that he had no idea of Waters' anti-Semitic history. Last week, sitting at a party with the New York Post's John Levine, he stated that COVID may have been ethnically targeted to spare Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. He has stated multiple times that he supports a two-state solution despite the fact that Palestinian Arabs have repeatedly stated that it is the first step towards eliminating Israel. He had to walk back a decades-long friendship with anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan, whom he has called in the past a truly great partner, and seems only now to disavow himself from that association. He had to address his past collaborations with Nation of Islam official Tony Muhammad in 2021. He chose former Ohio Congressman Dennis Kucinich as his campaign manager. While in the House of Representatives, Kucinich often voted against Israel and was criticized by Jewish organizations multiple times. He even stated in 2007 that Iran's anti-Zionist leader is not seeking to exterminate Israel. We cannot forget where he came from. His father was a supporter of Jewish concerns. However, there is family history. His paternal grandfather's legacy of helping the Nazis and his part in not allowing Jews suffering in Nazi Germany to enter the United States. Captured German documents revealed that Joseph, father of JFK, held anti-Jewish views and told the Nazi ambassador he understood our Jewish policy completely. His maternal grandparents were also anti-Semitic according to his aunt, Betty Skakel Medai, as published in biographies about his mother, Ethel Skakel Kennedy. I believe Robert F. Kennedy has the right to exercise freedom of speech, make use of the press and build a groundbreaking unity of finding common ground with the medical and vaccine community and succeeding in having bipartisan support in an extremist society. Once again, Debbie Wasserman Schultz embarrassed Jews with her bullying tactics and censorship of Kennedy. I'll never forget how she had to leave her Democratic National Committee chairmanship in disgrace after her part in the debate, cheating, scandal of the 2016 presidential campaign. I was personally horrified when she explained her 2015 support for the Iran nuclear deal with her connection to Lador Vador, which literally means from generation to generation. We see how the generation since her remarks made last decade have invigorated Palestinian Arabs and licensed groups like Black Lives Matter to attack Jews and Israel more because they see Jews like her supporting them in the Senate and House of Representatives. Debbie, let him speak. You allow your squad members to speak and hold positions of power that affect Jews worldwide. We need to hear from every single presidential candidate from all parties, even Cornell West, who is running on the Green Party line, and who has a history of Israel bashing and comparing Zionism to racist capitalism. I'm betting that before any debates, any primaries or there will be more words or incidents that will have to be defended and explained. Rabbi Shmuley Botich seems to be the Jewish advisor and biggest defender of Kennedy.
Boticha's biggest ally of late is Al Sharpton, enough said. I have invited Kennedy to be a guest on my radio and his team has not responded. I want to hear him speak more, and so should you. Welcome back to the Jewess Patriot. I am so excited to have our next guest because he graciously said he's coming on the show and he is a Democrat and I'm always excited when I could have uh, a lively discussion with somebody from the opposite side of the aisle. But I, he has a brand new book out and I have to tell you, regardless of political parties or medical issues or anything else, this book is for everybody because I suffer from exactly what the topic of the book is about chronic pain. Congressman Adam Smith is from the ninth congressional district in Washington and at age 25, he was the youngest state senator elected. So he knows what, uh, the ins and outs of politics from a state and national level for decades. He, uh, when the House had the majority, he was the chairman of the uh, Armed Services Committee. He is currently a member of the New Democratic Coalition and the Progressive Caucus, but he has a brand new book out called Lost and Broken, My Journey Back from Chronic Pain and Crippling Anxiety. And it talks about his six-year struggle with pain and anxiety. So thank you so much for joining the Jewess Patriot. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, like I said, the the, the topic is something I think we could all agree upon. Wherever we live, whatever our age. I know I talk to my friends on a daily basis. One's knees hurt. One's shoulders hurt. It's a discussion that seems to hit everybody. What made you decide, though, to go public and discuss your journey? Yeah. The biggest thing that made me decide to go public was the understanding that so many people are suffering similarly. Um, and if some combination of chronic pain, anxiety, and depression. Millions, probably tens of millions of people in this country go through this. And based on my own journey, you know, throughout my life, but particularly through the six years that I was really in bad shape, it's a difficult path. And I felt that my story could help people find treatment, find things that could help them get better by being part of that discussion. I mean, I don't mean to imply that my story is, well, everyone's in this situation, but it does give you some guideposts if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, or chronic pain for where to go to get help and, and what the best path is to find that. So I have to read one of the, uh, people who actually endorsed the book and wrote a beautiful uh, recommendation for it was Ben Affleck, who we all know. And he said, Lost and Broken helps advance a long overdue effort to talk more openly about and find better solutions for both chronic pain and mental illness. Now that, that speaks volumes from an international superstar that he uh, wrote this for you. How did you come to Ben Affleck? Yeah, it was very kind of him to do that. Actually, 
I met him back in 2007. He was, uh, he played a congressman in a movie, State of Play. And I was one of the congressmen that he interviewed to sort of ask, okay, what's it like to be a member of Congress? From that, I also found out that he was interested in uh, development aid in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, specifically in the Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo. We have a mutual friend, uh, Whitney Williams, who works on these issues. She was based in Seattle at the time, and they formed a nonprofit, the Eastern Democratic uh, Congo Initiative, that tries to help develop economic opportunity there. So we had worked together on the DRC issues, and that's how I how I got the connection with him. And uh, what your book really talks about a lot is a discussion about how to encourage people to confront it. A lot of people don't even want to recognize they have a problem. They blow it yeah. off. And I think that's a big issue in and of itself. That was um, me. <laughs> Yes, That's for a it. long time, yes. We all make the excuses. You probably say, oh, another bill I have to go vote on or another all-nighter because we well, can't agree. I, sorry, but actually the biggest excuse that you make, that you make when it comes to mental illness, that the physical side is, is a different thing, is, you know, you just, there is a stigma around mental health. And if you, if you go to somebody and say, gosh, yeah, my knee's not feeling really good today. Uh, maybe I should go see someone. That's a conversation you can have. If you go up to someone and say, Oh my God, I'm, I'm clinically depressed. Um, you know, there is a feeling that you will be stigmatized for that. First of all. And the second big challenge that I found is, you know, how do you treat a mental illness? You know, the general idea is, well, this is just the way I feel. How am I going to change the way I feel? So I had this huge block that said, there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, I, I like to joke that the, the, the Onion, which is a satirical magazine, had this headline that I saw probably 20 years ago, psychiatrist actually cures somebody. <laughs> the idea that, you know, that there's anything you could do about mental illness is is also stigmatized. And the truth is there are very clear treatments for all of these things that can help you get better. So those things block people from taking that first step to go say, yeah, I think I yeah, – yeah, I, don't feel good, but let's go ask somebody. Your mind is the same as your body. Um, it is incredibly resilient. It can heal, but it also breaks down from time to time. Now, you are happily married many years. You have two children. Uh, and what we talk about so much today is the ch- children with pain and anxiety and mental health. I was also thinking of this book reading your background about how parents could use this with their kids and stuff. And as a family discussion in a very positive way, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on what I said. Yeah, absolutely. Number one, you know, understand that to my earlier point, mental health is part of what you need to help your children with. And I think a lot of times we, we, we don't really think of it that way. I mean, I remember all the, all the well baby visits that we had to go for when, when our kids were young, you know, every year they're going and checking all the physical stuff. But as your kids develop, you don't do a similar thing on their mental well-being. And there's two pieces to it that I think are important to keep in mind. There is a difference between clinical anxiety, clinical depression, and the normal sort of ups and downs, stresses and strains of life. Now, both of these things require an approach, okay? Both of them are things that you need to deal with. I'm not saying that if you don't have clinical depression or clinical anxiety, you don't have any mental mental health issues. Figuring out how to deal with stress, figuring out how to deal with disappointment, This is an incredibly important part of development as a human being that I don't think we do a particularly good job of. 
you know, too often in our country, the approach is let's try to make sure that we protect our children so that they never have to experience these things. That's just not going to work. Life doesn't work that way. Maybe there's somebody out there who's lived their entire life, never had that happen to her, but I haven't met this person yet. Better to teach our children how to be resilient. How do you deal with that disappointment? Um, and then if there is something deeper that gets into a clinical depression, clinical anxiety, there are treatments there as well. But to begin with, I think it is really, really important that we teach children one vital thing. And I had this, I've had this conversation with my now 20 year old son repeatedly, you know, when he's all upset about something and I'm trying to talk him through it, he said to me over, I can't change the way I feel. And I kept saying to him, yes, yes, you can. Okay. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's part of how you're going to be, have, have a better life is to understand you can do that and to figure out how. So yes, I think this could be enormously helpful for parents as well. So your journey was six years, over six years. And what made you come to the point that you realize that you can cope, you've coped with it and you've dealt with it and that you can, you feel like you've changed and that you, you could deal with it better. Yeah, to a certain extent, my journey was a lifetime journey. It, it, the six-year period that I document is when it got to the point where it was uncontrollable. And it started in 2013 when I was 49 years old with anxiety, just constant feeling of existential fear that didn't appear to have any specific cause and wouldn't go away. Okay, so so I had to go try to find help with that. And then a year later, my hips started breaking down and a lifetime of you know surgeries and chronic pain and difficulty got to the point where that too was uncontrollable. So the first thing I had to do, and this is what I do in the book, I sort of start in the middle at my absolute bottom point after my third hip surgery um, and I'm not getting better. And it's like, okay, how did I get here? And I go back you know, through through the history of my life, both in terms of you know, anxiety, problematic things from my childhood. I was adopted, um, had all kinds of challenges with my family growing up. How did I get here? And then how did I get out? And the way ultimately I got out, I went, I went desperately looking for help. All right. Psychologists, psychiatrists, physical therapists, internists, as I document in the book, I went to well over a hundred different providers trying to find the answer. In the end, where I found it was with a psychologist who understood and, and walked me through three and a half years worth of psychotherapy that focused on the basic question of my inherent self-worth and whether or not I believed I had it. Much more to be said about that, but I'll put that aside for a moment. That discussion helped me deal with the anxiety. And then on the chronic pain front, I finally found a muscle activation therapist who gave me the valuable insight that when it comes to pain, it's not just a matter of how strong or flexible you are. Are your muscles activated? A lot more can be said about that as well. But I'll, those were the two big discoveries that then helped me start to get better. So I was starting to get better 2017, 2018, eventually got better by probably about mid 2019. I also had to get off of a variety of different medications along the way, which is another story. Uh, but that was the path. So what I liked about what I, what I read and what I thought was really the best thing is that it's not a one way cure for all. And as you just described so well, you took the, you know, the analysis, the medicine, you put it all together and you, you figured it out. It's not like a one doctor system or a one way approach. And that's really what I like about your journey and that you, explored it all and you discussed it all so honestly. And what I got out of it is 
you know, they're like you, you described so well, what's the difference between being clinically depressed or anxiety or just having a bad day? And people sometimes often confuse that they're not people who could diagnose it. And I think that's what a lot, what I got out of your book. You, you talk about it from the point, not as a politician, but as a person suffering from this and how you, you took the effort to learn about yourself to help yourself. Cause if you're not going to take that effort, no one is going to. Yeah. And that's the other important lesson that I learned. I've always been a, a um, I don't know. I, I, I'm a detailed person. I think about things obsessively. How am I going to solve this? How am I going to get, get, get through this? But when it came to my healthcare, I was more frightened than, than thinking. It was like, Oh my God, what's happening to me? I don't know what's happening to me. I'm going to find someone who does know what's happening to me. That person's going to tell me how to fix it and I'll be good. Sadly, as I point out in the book, that doesn't really work that you have to take a certain amount of responsibility for your own health care. You have to understand how your mind works and how your body works better. Find the people who can help guide you, but there's no simple thing. Well, the simple thing is oftentimes what leads you to medication. It's like, I don't want to have to figure out, you know, my mind or my body, give me a pill, fix it. And then I won't have to worry about it anymore. Most of the time, not all of the time, I'm not, as I, as I joke at this point in my interviews, I'm not going to go all Tom Cruise on you here, here about medication. Um, but most of the time medication isn't the answer. We over rely on, on that instead of actually addressing what's going on with the mind and the body. I couldn't agree with you more with that because I see this all the time. And you are on two committees that are involved with healthcare. <laughs> so you do follow a lot of this and you probably know a lot more than the average person on this. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what else would you like your reader to come out of after they're done with the book? Yeah, I think, you know, just an, an idea, first of all, for if you have a problem like this, or if you have someone close to you that has a problem like this, an idea of sort of, here's some of the initial steps I can take to begin the path to getting better. And that's, you know, why I walk through, you know, when it comes to the mental side, you know, the details are having that inherent sense of self-worth is crucial. That's what I did not have. And I thought that my self-worth was something that I had to prove. Now, I worked hard to make sure that I could prove it to say, okay, I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I think I'm a good friend. I'm good at my job. You know, I've succeeded, you know, but, but the thing is, if you walk down that road, that's not what self-worth is about. Self-worth is you have it because you're human, period, full stop. You don't have to prove it to anyone. All right. I struggled with that. So understand that you, you can have a lack of self-worth, even if you are successful. Um, it, it's a different thing. And then second, psychotherapy really does help because a lot of times what can trigger anxiety and depression, sort of my shorthand for it is stress, strain, the ups and downs of life. That's coming from stuff that you're very much aware of. Okay. Clinical anxiety and clinical depression usually comes from stuff that you have repressed, that you haven't dealt with something that you buried that you just don't want to think about. So you do need some help pulling that out to make sure that you experience this. And actually there's a lot of great treatments right now on how to deal with past trauma. Key is you got to relive it. You have to actually experience it, process it and get closure. So these are some of the basic steps. And then muscle activation therapy, can't emphasize it enough without getting into the details, Google muscle activation techniques, and that those those folks really know what they're doing in terms of getting your muscles activated. Activated muscles can protect arthritic knees, sore shoulders, stiff necks. 
in ways that you you will be amazed by. Let me just say, look up muscle activation techniques, uh, go see one of their therapists, and it, it can make a huge difference. So whenever I have on a, a congressman, we play a little bit of a game because people see everything on news and they, they don't get to know the real people. So you're from Washington and especially from the other coast. Tell us, tell us your favorite food. Ah, favorite food. That's difficult. I'm not. And is it salmon? I, no, it can't be no. salmon. Right? Sorry, it's sushi, mm. which is kind of like salmon. But I uh, hate to be boring, but uh, I guess uh, sushi would would be my favorite food. What's your favorite tourist attraction in Washington State? Ah, oh, gosh, mostly I just like hiking in the hills. But I would say my favorite tour. I'm a huge sports fan, so I would say um, the two the two baseball stadiums. Got to go see a game. Um, at T-Mobile Park, and uh, they changed the name so often I have to keep up with it, but I think it's century-length, the football stadium. So my favorite attraction is going to those two stadiums. Taylor Swift was just there. Um, so did a great show. Lumenfield. Are- Sorry, it's not CenturyLink anymore. It's Lumenfield. If you weren't an elected official, what profession would we have seen you in? Um, Gosh, it's a tough Tough, tough, tough thing to say. Um, I guess I love sports. So I would have tried to work my way up in some sort of uh, sports organization as like a, you know, general manager or staff person somewhere in, in athletics. I could see that from the discussion we had and your hiking. I could see that. What would you like our audience to know about what is going on in Washington right now that, you know, we, we hear what the media tells us, but tell us what you want us to know about your state. Yeah. The system works a lot better than people give it credit for. And I think what a lot of people miss is we are back here to resolve differences and differences are by definition difficult. Okay. If we agreed on everything, we wouldn't have a problem, but what your elected officials are here to do is to resolve the differences that exist in your community. And that's hard. And I ask everyone just, you know, if you're in a homeowners association, how easy it is, is it to get along with your neighbors? Okay. You know, how easy it is it to heck to get along with your family if you, if you have multiple members when you're trying to figure out. That's what we're doing is we're trying to resolve differences. So if it looks messy and a little nasty from time to time, it's because it's hard. And lastly, we actually get along a lot better than most people think we do. And when you say that, you mean uh, the Democrats and Republicans. I know that for a fact, because I know so many people that are friends and I know how many Democrats and Republicans actually socialize and everything. And I came up when New York had Moynihan and D'Amato, and you couldn't ask for a better combination there of leadership and support. And it was such a great time in politics in New York, especially. So I I would actually... I'm not in my I went to Fordham University undergrad in the mid 80s. So Alphonse D'Amato spoke at my graduation, as a matter of fact. So um, I remember those years in New York. So I have to ask you, as the Jewess patriot, you are on the Progressive Caucus and you are a part of the new Democratic coalition. And of course, we I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, some of the work you uh what's going on in those coalitions with Israel. I will acknowledge that you did attend President Herzog's speech. You were not one of the congressmen who even questioned it. And I should also say that you did vote uh, for 
the resolution that declared Israel not being a racist state, which I don't even know we even had to have that discussion. Uh, you have done a lot of work throughout the years with APAC. You've been, visited Israel many years. Tell us what's going on from your perspective with uh, the Jews and the Democratic Party and some of the uh, outspoken people from the squad. Well, okay, yeah. Trying to keep, going to keep the, try to keep this answer at least somewhat concise. Most important point, there is still incredibly strong bipartisan support for Israel. And you saw that in that vote and you've seen that in the, in the statements that are out there. So please don't, don't think that we're abandoning Israel. We're not. Even within the Democratic Party, the overwhelming majority of people in the Democratic Party are supportive of Israel. And I think that bond between our two countries remains strong. Obviously, there are some challenges going on internally uh, within Israel right now, but we're, we're no strangers to those types of challenges here in the U.S. either. So there, there is still a strong commitment. I think there is, speaking for myself, I'm going to speak for the Democratic Party, um, I still worry about how it is going to ultimately be resolved with the Palestinians and with the, the, the West Bank in particular. You know, I personally, I still support a two-state solution. It's going to take a long time. Um, but to or in order to protect Israel, I think we do need to ultimately get to a viable Palestinian state. I don't want to see that jeopardized. But the final point I will make, and the reason, one of the reasons why I'm such a strong supporter of Israel, there are still a lot of people who favor a one-state solution. <laughs> and that one state is where the Arabs outnumber the Jews, and there is no longer in Israel. You know, I recently read a book called Palestine, 1936, which goes back to the British mandate and after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. And look, back then, the Arabs in that area had a choice to make. They could have split it and chosen two states. They didn't. They chose to fight. They chose to say that Israel should not exist. And that fight is still going on to some extent. So I am very supportive of Israel's right to defend itself and crucially Israel's right to exist. And sadly, there's too many people who still question that. And that undermines our ability to actually get peace and stability in the Middle East. You know, I'm encouraged by the Abraham Accords, big supporter of that. I want to see that grow. Um, but we have to fundamentally resolve the question of the Palestinians if we're going to get to a peaceful place. And what can, what are your thoughts about or your actions? What's going on with the alarmingly rate of anti-Semitism in the United States? Yeah, and I think we've got a huge problem. I mean, the culture wars in the U.S. right now are are deep and divisive. Um, there's too much identity politics, there's too much bigotry and discrimination. And I think we need to take every opportunity we can, first of all, to reduce just the general sense of, you know, attacking people who aren't like us and recognize that what we have in common outnumbers what we don't have in common. Um, I have an incredibly diverse district. I have a huge, very significant Jewish population, but also we speak over 160 different language in my, in my district because we get a lot of immigrants from all over the world. Um, and there's no reason that that can't work and does work. So fight discrimination in general, but second, really understand the specifics of anti-Semitism. Its roots are deep and it must be challenged constantly if we are going to get past it. And we've seen it flare up, frankly, on both the right and the left. Correct. The way that everybody should should stand up against when they see it. I couldn't agree with you more with what you just said, because we are seeing it on both extremes. And it's going to really be 
something that moderates are going to have to come together and just override in both parties because it's not good. And, you know, anti-Semitism leads to hate with other groups. And so I'd rather build the coalition Absolutely. of peace than the coalition of war. Yes. I think so, we, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and by the way, this is something that, you know, there's too much anger in this place. And I, and I tie it all the way back to what we started out talking about, which is mental health. I think there's too many people that have unresolved issues. And I write about this in my book. One of the big revelations as I was going through this was I thought about a lot of the interactions I had. And when you come across people who seem irrationally angry and assume that person is just a jerk. Okay. Well, maybe there's something going on there that they haven't dealt with. So I think mental health could also help us reduce some of the hatred, um, anger and violence that we're experiencing in this country right now. I think you have to take some people on a hike and have a nice, uh, relaxing day. I think that's what's going on. Everybody puts on the news. They go to sleep with the news and there's nothing ever nice of it going on anymore. They're worried about what's going to be the next day. Yeah. So, uh, the book is called Lost and Broken, My Journey Back from Chronic Pain and Crippling Anxiety. It's from HCI Books. It just came out in May and you could get it on Amazon. And Congressman Adam Smith, I am so glad I got to meet you and learn about you. you. Have a great staff. They were so gracious and nice. And I am really glad to have this opportunity because I really look forward to working, uh, with people on the opposite side of the aisle and not just on Jewish issues, but on American issues that we have enough going on. We have to work together or we're just going to collapse. Yeah. I think that that is perfectly said. And I'm glad we had the chance to meet as well. And I enjoyed our conversation. And I look forward to having you back on the Jewess Patriot. Would love to. Thank you. Thank Great you. to meet you. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's your American Patriot DJ, Drew Shelton. You are listening to the Jewess Patriot with Sidney Gross. Always great conversations. Hopefully you have enjoyed the program. Look, I want to leave you with a song today that has just taken over uh, this country, uh, maybe even the world by storm, because it remains the number one song currently on the charts when it comes to uh, iTunes. Anyway, that's the chart I'm looking at. But uh, Jason Aldean Try that in a small town. This song has been out since May. I've been playing it on my platform since May. July 14th, the music video was released, and it, of course, uh, showed some raw footage of the Black Lives Matter and Tifa riot, uh, you know, riots and movements from uh, a few years back. And, and, of course, everyone got in an uproar. Well, guess what? Uh, it's time to take our country and our towns back. This is Jason Aldean. Try that in a small town. We will talk to you next week. Until then, love somebody, be kind, and choose joy. See you. Yeah, you think you're tough. Well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long for you to find out. Try that in a small town. 
This is Cindy Gross, the Jewess Patriot. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for watching the Jewish Patriot Show with Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Be sure to download Cindy's next program as well as previous ones available internationally on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and in Israel on Jewish Podcasts. See you next time on the Jewish Patriot Show.